made in the UK for MSPs around the world. This is Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast. Hello, here's what's coming up in this week's show. It's not always the right time to ask somebody to buy something. I think that's something that salespeople miss. You probably shouldn't ask them to buy something yet. We're also going to be talking about email subject lines that get opened, because email marketing is still a powerful thing to do, and how to recruit second and third line techs. Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast. So our family, along with around about 50 million other families around the world, have now got Disney+. And I have to say, it's a, it's a pretty good package, isn't it? You've got your Star Wars in there, you've got all your classic Disney stuff, you've got The Simpsons, and you've got Marvel. And I absolutely adore Marvel. Find me a 45-year-old man with the beating heart of a 14-year-old boy inside him who doesn't love Marvel. And I think what Marvel have done over the last 10, 11 years, building up that cinematic universe is just amazing. And of course, one of my favourite characters is Iron Man, played by Robert Downey Jr., Tony Stark. And I was chatting to my nine-year-old daughter about Robert Downey Jr. She's really surprisingly into the Marvel movies, which is great, sitting watching them together. And we were talking about Robert Downey Jr. And I was telling her, you know, he'd had some troubles in his life and now he's one of the highest paid actors in the world. In fact, for Endgame alone, he made uh, $20 million as a base salary. That was just to do the acting. And then because he has a bit of back end, he takes a percentage of the back end profits. He's made so far an additional $55 million because, of course, Endgame has done, you know, getting on for for $3 billion worldwide or something like that. He's an immense amount of cash. And I think Robert Downey Jr., I mean, I don't know, can anyone justify earning $75 million for one piece of work? Maybe, but I think he's worth every penny. From everything that I've read, all the directors think he's worth every penny as well. And one of the reasons for that is when you hire Robert Downey Jr., you don't just hire him and his star power and you know his ability to attract people into theatres. You also get a pretty unique process from him, which leads to more interesting scripting for your film. So what he does is when you hire Robert Downey Jr., he will get the script and obviously he'll turn up on set and he'll deliver the script as it's been written. But what he also does is he has his own scriptwriter and his own scriptwriter rewrites his dialogue three or four times. So they'll look at what it is that he's supposed to be saying in a scene or his character's supposed to be saying in a scene and they'll do three or four different versions of it. And he, when he's on set, constantly wears an earpiece. So they will do the first take and that will be the, the scripted version. And then in between the takes, in between take one and take two, an assistant will read him his lines for the second take. So he's not doing the original lines that were written by the movie scriptwriter. He's now doing his own scriptwriter's lines. And then he'll do the same thing for the third and the fourth and the fifth. So essentially, you're getting him acting and playing it out and his character doing lots and lots of different lines every single time you do a script. And apparently directors find this incredibly useful because he's not being disrupted offset. He's got an earpiece in his ear. He's got an assistant feeding these lines to him and he's paying for all of this. I mean, you know, $75 million for a film. I'm sure you can afford an assistant and a scriptwriter and a wireless earpiece. But he's doing all of this off his own back so that his character can come up with more interesting things. And a lot of the iconic lines, the things that we know for Marvel, such as I am Iron Man, you remember is the big reveal at the end of the very first Iron Man film, the one that kind of really kicked it all off. That was essentially an ad-libbed line. And this is what makes Robert Downey Jr. so, so powerful to movie directors. Now, what could Iron Man possibly have to teach an MSP? Very simply, Robert Downey Jr. 
goes the extra mile. And he doesn't just go the extra mile a little bit. He studied in some detail what would make me more valuable to these people. They're paying me a lot of money for these films. I want to be a very, very wealthy megastar. I also want to have the best lines in the film. Because, you know, Iron Man was never guaranteed to be the big star of Marvel. He's worked hard over 10 years to make Iron Man incredibly successful to the extent that, you know, no spoilers, but when things happen in Endgame, and come on, it's been out a year now, we all, we've all seen it, surely, but when things happen in Endgame, it has the most incredible emotional impact because we've invested 10 years into a character that we absolutely adore. He's done that off his own back. He's hired his own scriptwriter. He's written his own process. It's an incredible thing to do. Let's flip that back to your MSP. What could you do off your own back that generates so much more value for your clients? I guess what we're looking for here is what could you do for your clients that routinely and systematically overservices them? And we've all heard the phrase before that you should underpromise and overdeliver, but actually this is a real thing. When you start working with a brand new client and they're expecting something from you, how amazing if from day one you're constantly over-delivering. And of course, yeah, they're going to get used to that eventually. That stops being very special to them. After a couple of years, when you're over-delivering and over-delivering, that becomes the new normal. But what a great way to get a new client started. When the lockdown started, I spoke to many of the MSPs that I work with, clients, non-clients, people that I just know, and the ones that seem to do the best with their clients and that certainly had fewer retention problems than others were the ones who constantly over-serviced their clients. So they were ringing them up. They were saying, what frustrations have you got? What can we do to make your life easier? How is that annoying you? What's the best thing for us to do here? And they were constantly over-servicing them. They were finding out what their expectations were, and then they were going the whole extra hog. Essentially, they were taking the Iron Man approach to it. So here's a challenge for you. Maybe this is something you and your team can jump on a Teams call. You can talk about later on this week. What can you do to over-service your clients. And when we say, what can you do? We mean the easy things. We're not talking here about massively upping your extra level of service, but something simple, for example, could you start doing training videos for them, tech tips just for your clients? Could you start doing a drop-in? Maybe it's a Teams call once a week and any of your users could just drop in. So they haven't got to log a support ticket, but if they've got a small, minor thing, just, you know, an, an irritance, a thing that they'd love to have fixed, but they've never got around to raising a support ticket, could they just drop in and it's almost like a clinic? What if you could go through a process of ringing all of your clients once a month, say? So someone in the office is responsible for ringing, yes, the decision makers, but also the influencers as well, and maybe other key users in the business, people who are putting in lots of tickets or people who seem to be influencing other people with their tech support. Yes, there's a burden there of calling people, but what great service. In fact, what kind of problems are you going to unearth before they actually become a problem? Wouldn't it be better to tackle stuff proactively, both from their point of view, but also to stop things getting worse and to stop frustrations increasing? Let's call this the Iron Man Protocol. How can you put it in place in your business today? Here's this week's clever idea. As much as email marketing is getting harder and harder, it's getting harder to get people's email address, to actually get your emails delivered to them, let alone get them to open it. Email marketing is so important. It should still be at the cornerstone of your direct response marketing. You'll have heard me say before on the podcast how important it is to build audiences of people build a relationship with them, and then obviously be there at the point they're ready to switch from their incumbent MSP. 
Well, the number one audience that you should be building is your email list because it's the only one that you completely control. No one can ever take your opt-in email list away from you. LinkedIn can snatch your audience away from you if Microsoft falls out with you for whatever reason. And Mark Zuckerberg can definitely take your Facebook or your Instagram or your messenger lists away from you if Facebook changes its mind about how its algorithms should work again. But no one can ever remove your email list. It's your data. So you should be focusing on building your email list using ethical bribes, which is something that you give to someone in return for their contact details to build up your opt-in email list. And for an MSP, even just 500 prospects in an email list is enough, you know? I mean, a thousand, two thousand would be better, but 500 prospects is enough because it's not like you need 50 new clients every single week. You need one new client a month or every now and again or whatever will fill the capacity that your MSP has got. So when it comes to email marketing, it's, as I said, the challenge is getting it delivered to them. The challenge is then to get them to open it. And what dictates whether or not someone opens an email versus deleting it or just hitting the spam button are two things. The first is the person or the company that sent it to them. And the second is the subject line. Now, I prefer to send emails that come from me. So if you're on my email list, and if you're not, you can go and join up at paulgreensmspmarketing.com. And you'll see that when I send out promotional emails, they just have my name, Paul Green, in the subject line. So what I'm looking to do is to build a relationship with my audience and it's based around my name. The company name is irrelevant to me. And you could do exactly the same with your MSP. You could base the name around you. So your MSP might be called XYZ IT and your name might be Dave Smith, but it's much better to send it as Dave Smith. You know, people who receive emails from other people are more likely to open them, more likely to build a bond. And ultimately people buy from people anyway. People don't buy from companies they just buy from other people. So I would send your promotional emails with a name. Just make sure it's a name of someone who isn't going to leave. You know, as the owner of the business, you're the last person to leave. And in fact, when you do leave, you, you care less about what happens to the business. You can always broker a deal to license your name for a year for the new owners when they're doing email marketing, if that's important to them. So the sender name is kind of easy. The harder thing is getting the email subject lines right. So I've got here three or four areas of subject lines, which I've always found work very, very well. And from what I've read in the newsletters that I'm subscribed to, because I'm subscribed to feels like hundreds of different email marketing lists, these are the ones that tend to perform better. So in no particular order, we'll start with social proof. Now, social proof is where most people prefer to do what most other people are doing. Social proof directly hooks into us as cave dwelling animals who are you know somewhere in the middle of the food chain something's going to eat us and so therefore basically if we stick together the safety in numbers we prefer to do what most other people are doing a social proof email subject line is a very smart thing to do something that perhaps highlights how other people are using your service so you could say something like we're humbled at this feedback from our client that would be a great piece of social proof. Or if there is actually a short snippet of something they've actually written in a review or a testimonial, you'd actually put you know, that short line in the subject line, perhaps in inverted commas. Now, the concept of social proof was first coined by Dr. Robert Cialdini 
in his 1980s, 1990s book, Influence, and he calls it a weapon of influence. And in fact, another one of his weapons of influence is scarcity, because when there's only a short supply of something, we have to make a decision in our brains. Do we want this or don't we want it? So scarcity or urgency can be a great email subject line as well. In fact, I would say this is one of the most powerful types of subject line you have to use. The only issue you've got with scarcity for an MSP is what's your real scarcity? Because, you know, software licenses never run out. Hardware, I know we've had supply issues, but hardware doesn't really run out in normal times. And uh, the only thing you've got that really runs out is appointments or slots or project time or something like that. So a great scarcity email subject line will be something like there are only three of these available or what's better maybe is a deadline. This ends on Sunday at 6 p.m., something like that. Another subject line that's kind of easy and gets good open rates as well is actually just relaying news. So you can take something that's happening in our world and let's be honest, there's plenty of places to go within the channel to do this. And then you can just rewrite it and pop it in your email or newsletter. And the subject line can be about something new. You know, people do love reading about new devices. They do love reading about new services so long as they're relevant to them. And the big challenge for you in doing this is not to be too techy. If you're too techy and you start using technical terms, you're going to absolutely lose your audience and they're not going to open your emails. But relaying news, rewriting news can work very well. Two more for you then. Uh, one of them is telling a story or starting to tell a story in a subject line. For example, if you're talking about someone who got hacked and what a nightmare they went through, you might use as your subject line, this is the worst nightmare any business owner can face. And that in itself is a compelling, it's almost like a headline. You've got to think of email subjects as headlines to the story. This is the worst nightmare any business owner could face. That's a very compelling subject line, a very compelling headline, and would make me want to open the email to see what the nightmare is, because it feels relevant to me because I'm a business owner and I would want to know what that is. And the final one I'm going to suggest to you is just simply offers, offering them free stuff, offering them sales on things, offering them not discounts, but value add. People love offers. Even intelligent B2B buyers are emotionally persuaded by offers. They really, really are. So why not make offers to them and offer them different things? It works incredibly well. With all of these, though, you have to make sure you use a variety of things. If you were to use scarcity in every single email you went out, it would lose its impact very quickly. If every single email you sent out was an offer, you would soon get people unsubscribing because there's got to be a balance, a balance of subjects, a balance of content. That's the trick to you when you're doing your email newsletters, your email marketing is getting the balance right so people don't get sick of what it is that you're sending out. You will have people unsubscribing, but it's going to be a very, very tiny percentage of people who've chosen to opt in. In fact, as you watch unsubscription rates go up, that's your audience telling you that you haven't quite got your content mix quite right. And you need to go back and address the balance and just put a bit more variety in there. Paul's blatant plug. So I said just then, if you're not on my email list and you want to get my emails, just visit the website. I can actually go one further with that. Would you like a free copy of my book? It's called Updating Servers Doesn't Grow Your Business, and it's the ultimate guide to marketing your MSP. It's not a very long read. It's only about 44 pages, and it is a proper physical print book. If you're based either in the US or the UK, we have copies sat in warehouses that we're ready to ship to you. And if you're based anywhere else in the world, you can still get a copy of the book. Unfortunately, it's just a PDF. But hey, to get your copy, all you've got to do is go to my website, Paul Greens 
mspmarketing.com. There on the homepage are details of this book. You just fill in your contact details. We'll send you an immediate PDF no matter where you are. And if you fill in your address in the US and the UK, we will post a copy to you, which should reach you in just a few days. The Big Interview. Hey, I am Heather Harlos. I'm from Greenville, South Carolina in the States. I work at Bitdefender and oversee their go-to-market strategy um, for all of cloud and MSP. And just a little bit about myself. I grew up on a farm and I could actually ride a horse before I could walk. That's amazing. You hear fun th- fact. <laughs> it is. Yeah. You hear things like that and you never quite believe that, that people are brought up like that, but that's, um, that's, that's a pretty amazing fact. Now we're talking about marketing in the digital age. And of course, with everything that's happened, in the last three months or so, marketing has been quite severely disrupted. And I say disrupted because it's created some enormous opportunities for some people. And obviously, it's stopped certain other marketing practices from working well. Now, you've been, you've been working remotely for, for some time with Bitdefender, and you're used to this, this new digital age of marketing. What kind of marketing are you seeing that works really well for MSPs right now? Yeah, and it's sort of interesting what I'm seeing now. I feel like people are more willing to connect now um, than they are than they ever were before. So if you really think about it, people just want to feel like they know somebody, um, whether it's in person or digitally, there's a different expectation um, from that digital experience that it is more personal and and really just more of an engagement um, on a personal level versus always selling. So a lot of the things that I've seen that have worked is doing Um, a little more around, you could do a virtual happy hour, or you could set up your website with some intelligence on the background. And we know all of you MSPs are really good with technology, um, but where it can actually create profiles and customize that journey and that content for them. So they feel like they're getting to what they need in a way that's organic and they aren't having to go through 20 pages to get there. And one thing that I always tell people is it's not always the right time to ask somebody to buy something. I think that's something that salespeople miss just in general and some business people miss in general. Um, If somebody's just now figuring out about you, you probably shouldn't ask them to buy something yet. It should be more about learning who they are and who you are and then wait for that right um, touch point to actually ask for the transaction. Completely agree with you because it is about getting the right message in front of the right person at exactly the right moment. And as you say, people only buy when they're ready to buy. So the MSPs that you see that are most successful with this, are they using specific types of software such as HubSpot or, or other kinds of software that allow them to track that relationship? Or is it just being uh, being done almost a little bit more organically using, using humans and, and spreadsheets and stuff like that? Um, I actually think it is a little more automated now. Um, I think the average buyer is smarter um, with technology than they used to be. So in general, if people have to call you, I feel like it's a problem a lot of times um, other than the, the offhanded meeting and, and maybe a happy hour or something like that. But people don't necessarily want to have to talk to people, but they want to feel like you know who they are. What I'm seeing is people that actually have a more robust website with some intelligence behind it so people can get to that, that information faster is actually working better than the ones that are doing the speed dialing through numbers. An interesting statistic 
I found was if you actually look at digital devices, it's around, I think, 127 devices are actually connected online per second. And that's probably changed since the last time I actually looked this up. But when you're thinking about how to build out your websites and build out your digital footprint, think mobile first, um, because everybody's working remote or they're on the go. So um, you don't have that sort of person sitting there next to their phone all the time. So you need to think about how to engage with them in a different way. So when you talk about things like having um, more assets available on your on your website mm-hmm. so that people don't have to pick up the phone, because again, I agree with you, I think people would prefer not to pick up the phone these days unless they're in a, in a distressed position. What kind of stuff do you think every MSP should have on their website? As a standard, you should always have an about section. Some way of people to be able to reach out with you, contact forms on each on each page. That should be a standard just in every template that you build. But what I think people tend to do is they try to look like they are good at everything. So if you think about it, most people, in, and in general, you can do everything, but everybody can specialize in something. So the websites that really point out the verticals or the solutions that they really specialize in, and build that first, they have more credibility, especially with me when I can search for somebody than somebody that says, hey, we can do it all. Um, Nobody's great at everything and, and you shouldn't position yourself that way. So I think that the most successful websites are built around a specialization and you, and you separate your website in a way from a navigation standpoint that is easy to get to that. So always have the products, always have the services, but don't forget about those, those solution pages or vertical pages so that somebody that is in that area, they go there and they're like, oh, they know who I am. They work with other people like me. Now, you've mentioned a couple of times a happy hour. Can you tell me what a happy hour is? And I, obviously, I know what it is in a bar, but uh, what is a happy hour on a, on a website or in digital marketing? Yeah, and this is something that honestly probably would have never came about if it wasn't for the for, for the past couple months. So I have seen and we've actually done virtual happy hours. Normally you would go to a bar, but obviously we, we weren't able to do that. So what we did is we actually shipped what I would call a care package um, with our branding to customers. And it had a bottle of wine in it. It had the glass in it. It had some snacks in it. And we scheduled a time to meet, quote unquote, face to face over a virtual happy hour um, using Zoom or Ring Central or WebEx, any, any of the above will work. But it was a really cool way because people just wanted that, that personal touch point and they didn't want to talk about business. Like they just wanted to know people were going through the same things they were and, and to really forget what was going on for a little while. So it was, it was actually a pretty cool experience. So I've also seen um, people do story times. I've seen people do virtual yoga classes. So you can find common interest and you don't have to be in the same city or even the same country um, to share those experiences anymore, which is pretty cool. Um, really, when you think about where technology has taken us. It, it is pretty cool because obviously MSPs can theoretically service any business anywhere in the world. And the fact that we are all working more remotely now and, and you know, digital marketing has, has taken a great big leap forward in the last few months. It certainly does open up all sorts of quite exciting opportunities. You mentioned verticals. I think vertical marketing has is, is got to be a way forward for so many MSPs. So you have your general business based in your local geographical area, but you also have a vertical that you super serve and that could be anywhere in the 
in the country or indeed anywhere in the world. And I would say even, and when you think about verticals, think about like use that to actually expand your reach to areas you don't touch. So I recommend for anybody to take time to do an exercise, figuring out what your social graph is. When I go into LinkedIn and I post something, I have a certain circle of people that I know are engaging with me that will reshare that. Well, when they reshare it, they have a circle of people that actually trust them and reshare it from there. So you can actually leverage those specialties and those verticals and building those virtual relationships to expand your reach to people that aren't actually in that vertical. Heather, tell us a little bit about Bitdefender and how we can get in touch with you. Yeah, definitely. Um, so Bitdefender is a cybersecurity company. We're actually... Um, one of the leaders in the MSP space. Um, we do everything from endpoint protection, um, virtual environments, email protection, um, really just insert name here and we pretty much cover it. And the easiest way to get in touch with us is to go to www.bitdefender.com. Super simple. Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast. Ask Paul anything. My name is Justin from Prestart Limited. Can you suggest a good way to recruit second and third line technicians? Yes, I can. Great question, Justin. Thank you very much. So we all know that recruitment can be one of the biggest headaches for MSPs right now. Your first line tech's not so difficult because let's be honest, you can hire good people with a great attitude and you can teach them to be first line techs. There's plenty of training around and there's plenty of mentoring from you and from your team. The issue you've got is people with that established knowledge base in their head, that skill, that ability that second and third line techs bring. And many of the MSPs that I speak to do have issues recruiting second and third line techs. I think there's a two-pronged approach that you can take to this. Now, firstly, you could take a more proactive approach, and that's to be actually recruiting second and third line techs constantly. So you don't just wait till you've got a vacancy, you already have people lined up. For example, you could get in contact with the second and third line techs, uh, bigger competitors, perhaps in the next town, people that you don't naturally come into competition with. But the reason I say bigger competitors is often second and third line techs get lost when there's, you know, 20, 30, 40 people sat in a building. It's so much easier for people to be lost, for no one really to know that they're there. And that can lead to a level of dissatisfaction for some, a level of almost of disengagement with the job. So you could be constantly in touch with these people or you could be in touch with second and third line techs who don't work for MSPs, but they are in technical support roles, perhaps in your town. I guess what I'm saying here is don't go and poach from your neighbours. Because if you poach from your neighbours, your neighbours are going to go and poach from you. There are other sources of second and third line techs without you directly stealing from your direct competitors. And you could just reach out to people. You could contact them on LinkedIn. You could send a piece of direct mail to them at their workplace, which is a pretty gutsy thing to do, but I still think it's a good idea to do it sometimes. And you could just get in touch with them and say, hey, can we go for a coffee? Can we go for a beer? We're not recruiting right now, but you know, at least once a year, we're looking for a second or a third line tech. It would be great just to get to know you, see if perhaps we could end up doing some work together down the line. So essentially, it's a no commitment meeting. Some of those people will just want to meet with you just because they can. And they want to have a chat and, you know, it's your way of getting to know, would I want to work with this person? In fact, what a great way to line up potential future employees, to have a coffee with them every six months or every year, just to keep in touch, learn about them, see what's happening in their life. 
And then when you do have a vacancy, all you've got to do is you've got to pick up the phone and make two or three phone calls and say, right, it's time. We've got a vacancy. Is this the right time for you to actually formally start to talk about you coming to work here? If the timing's not right, no problem. I've got someone else I can try. Now, that would be the most proactive and most powerful way to do it. The reality is very few of us have the time to sit and build up a recruitment pipeline like that. It almost becomes a specialist job in itself. So in which case, you've got the reactive way to do it, which is to recruit people at the point you have a problem. Now, here we can bring into play something that we talked about back in episode 23, seven episodes ago. We talked about the world's best recruitment advert. And the goal here was to stand out from all the other second and third line tech adverts. Because you look at wherever you look for your adverts and they're all the same. Everyone's talking about, oh, second line technician needed, must have this, must have that, must have this qualification. And so it's very hard to stand out. My recommendation for you seven episodes ago was to have a video advert. So you might even have an advert which says, you don't want this job. And to find out why you don't want this job, go to and you send them to a page on your website and there's a video of you and your staff. And you talk about how hard you work. You talk about all the training that they have to do. You talk about how great the clients are. And essentially, you show the attitude of your business in the video ad. Maybe even you get your existing staff to be in that video and to talk about how, yes, they love it and they love the fact that it pays well and it works well, but it is hard work. Because not only are we differentiating the business by showing how different it is to all the other adverts, but we're also showing that, look, this isn't going to be an easy ride. You're going to be worked hard here, but it's going to be incredibly rewarding for you. And that's going to appeal to a very specific kind of person, the kind of person that we want, the person who's got a good work ethic, who doesn't complain, who doesn't whinge and brings a great attitude. Because if you can hire that kind of person, you can work with that person every single day of the week. I guess the key with your recruitment, like any other kind of marketing, because recruitment is just a marketing exercise, is to look at what everyone else is doing and do something a little bit different. Because if you can stand out, that's half the battle won. How to contribute to the show. Come on, let's get your question on the show. It will be great to hear from you. Just record it on your phone and you can email the audio file to me. Hello at paulgreensmspmarketing.com. Coming up next week. I can't thank you enough for the time and the energy. And I'm, I'm sorry I didn't find your podcast sooner. Uh, the, the quality is, is stellar. That's Jim Smith. He's an MSP owner from just outside Philadelphia. And next week, he's the star of an MSP marketing podcast special. I did an hour-long marketing consult with Jim, and he was kind enough to allow me to record it for you. We do a deep dive into how to get new clients for his MSP, and you can follow along and copy the process as well. Now, this is unlike anything I've ever done before on this podcast, and I believe it's going to be a very valuable episode for you. So I can't wait for you to hear it next week. I'll see you then. Made in the UK for MSPs around the world. Paul Green's MSP Marketing Podcast.